As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Let's do this. Let's talk about road trips. You guys do road trips? Everybody hit the road. Uh, we do road trips in our family. We, we, we get everybody in the car. We get out there. But have you ever been on a road trip where it's like you're so close to your final destination and yet you're like, we are so far away. You know, it's like you, you can see it, you can sense it, but it feels so far away. We were on a road trip uh, a few years ago. And here's what you need to know about me is I pride myself on the efficiency by which we will make this trip happen. Okay, the car is packed a certain way. The kids have the snacks. I know what time in the morning we're leaving. It's early, what the stops are gonna be along the way. And uh, well, I should say I used to pride myself on the efficiency by which we did road trips. Because a few years ago, we were on this drive and we're literally only like 15 minutes away from our destination after a 15 hour drive all in one day. And so we're like 15 minutes away. This is the time you start hearing the cacophony of noise in the back. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the answer was, yeah, we're almost there. And then my car stalls out and I I just end up kind of pulling over to the side of the road. And uh, now we're like on like a back country road. This is not on the highway. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere. I got no cell service. I ran out of gas. And I'm like miles from a gas station. So I see this like cottage, this like country house. It was a little bit down the road. So I just like walked to this house. I knocked on the door. This older 70 year old woman comes to the door. I'm like, I am so sorry. I am like, I just ran out of gas. My wife and kids are in the car. Is there any chance you like, I could borrow some gas to get to the gas station. So she's like, okay, let's go in my garage. And then all of her gas cans are out of, of gas. So without skipping a beat, 70 year old woman, Does anybody know what it is to uh, siphon something? Without skipping a beat, this 70-year-old lady grabs this plastic hose, shoves it into a riding lawnmower, and if you know what siphoning is, she begins to suck on this hose, she gets the gas out of the lawnmower, gets me enough, and we got on the road. But isn't it true, I just shared all that for fun, it has nothing to do with the message whatsoever. No, I'm kidding. Isn't it true that so often, not just on a road trip, but in life, when it feels like we're so close to the finish line, we're almost there. Well, we got the destination in our sights that simultaneously it can feel like we are so far away from getting to the destination. That's what we're gonna see this morning in the Israelites and what they're going through. We're in Joshua chapter six. We're continuing our series, Faith Without Borders. Now, the people of Israel, they have been on a very long journey. So they've been from Egypt to now, From the promise of God to the payoff of God, they are so, so close. I checked it this morning because I think it's in the the Bible, in Exodus somewhere, that that the Israelites first coined the phrase, are we there yet? Because, I mean, they were on this journey forever. And so this is where we jump into today, into the stories. They had crossed over the Jordan. They're actually in the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey, but there's still some obstacles. There's still some enemies in their way. There's even a battle in their way before they can fully inhabit the promised land 
that God had for them. So here's our question for today. How do you and me, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, how do we, how do we operate out of a place of sincere faith, even when the journey is long and winding and we're not quite sure when we're going to get to the destination? Not a fake faith, not a fraudulent faith, a sincere faith that is chasing after God, even when we don't know when we're going to cross the finish line. So message today, simply titled Sincere Faith. Joshua chapter six, I wanna share with you five marks of sincere faith. I hope that you have your Faith Without Border guides. Either grab your Bible or your phone, get over to Joshua six or on page 30 of the Faith Without Border guide. I'm gonna read the first 20 verses. It's a long one. Stick with me. Let's dive in right at verse one. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel... None went out, none came in. So Jericho's in quarantine. Is it too soon? Not allowed to do that yet? Okay, verse two. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make that long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Whoa. So then it goes on to say, and the people shall go up. Everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, the ram's horn, man, doesn't it sound like scripture is just repeating itself here over and over again? Now notice what happened. God is talking to Joshua. Look carefully, Bible scholars, how closely Joshua is telling the people of Israel what God told him. So he says, when the ram's horns of the Lord uh, went forward, blowing the trumpets in the Ark of the uh, Covenant of the Lord, following them, verse nine, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp, verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets yet again, continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord and the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did this for six days. Now, here's where it gets good. On the seventh day, they rose early. And at the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner, but this time it was seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that was within. 
it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Whoa. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves, warning here, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them and you take any of the devoted things and you make a camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold, every vessel, bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Five marks of sincere faith. Lots in there, a lot of repetitive language. What's going on? Let's unpack it. Maybe it's a familiar story, maybe not. Five marks of sincere faith. Here's the first one. Surrender continually. And just do an audit of your own life, your own spiritual life as we talk through this. How are we doing in the area of surrendering continually to God? So in verse one, we get the, can- the context. Israel is camped outside of Jericho. Now, historical excavators have actually found this place. This was a real place. And what they found was that this city was about 10 acres. Around it were two parallel walls that went all the way around the city, likely somewhere around 15 feet tall. So this is like a fortified city that is within. And so it's saying the people aren't going in, they're not going out because, I mean, the Israelites are out there, we're in here, we're about to go to battle. Now don't miss it. Joshua and the Israelites, they've entered the promised land already. So they're in the promised land. However, it was occupied by the city Jericho. Now Jericho was full of people They were wicked and deceitful, not following after the things of God. Do you see how many times it said the things of what? Destruction. And that's how they were living their life in Jericho. So spoiler alert, verse two, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. So it's a continuation of God's promise that he's going to deliver the promised land. And so God's saying, man, I'm going to win this. I've already won this. You're going to win this. Well, we know the end of the story, even though the battle hasn't even taken place yet. And everything up in the last five chapters that we've been studying lead to this one epic battle. But it's not the kind of battle that you and I are probably thinking about. So verses three through seven, we're talking about how to surrender continually. What happens? Well, God gives Joshua very, very specific instructions. What you're going to do is you're going to get up every morning. You're going to walk around the city in a particular order. The soldiers are going to go first, followed by the priests. The priests are going to be blowing these trumpets. Don't think like, it's not not like that kind of thing. This was like this big like ram's horn. It would have been this like low bellowy sound. And then behind the priests is the Ark of the Covenant. We've been talking about this in this series. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, It possessed the presence and the power of God going with them around the city. Then were the people of Israel following behind. So he gives them these very, very specific orders in very specific detail. Now you might be thinking, you're like, maybe maybe there's some people in here that are in the military or have been in the military. And you're like, that does not sound like the most strategic tactical plan for battle silently just go walk around the city. That'll get them. (laughs) 
And so you'd be right because what's going on? Well, Joshua received a word from the Lord. And this is why I love Joshua. So many times as we're studying through the book of Joshua, what do we see? We just, we see, so Joshua did it. I love the simplicity of just, God said this. Joshua's like, okay. What if we operated in our faith a little more like Joshua? And in this example, God's giving him these very, very, very specific instructions. And then notice, Joshua brings the exact instructions back to the people of Israel. Now, part of this is right before this in verse, in chapter five, Joshua has this encounter and this encounter, it, it, it's continuing to fortify his faith. Remember, we're talking about what it means to have a sincere faith. I believe Joshua has one. Look at this encounter he has, if you want to flip over to it. Joshua 5, starting in verse 13. So Joshua was by Jericho. So he's not yet there. This is like on their way to Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? He's going, hey man, you on our team or their team? We got to get this sorted out before we go any further here. What team are you on? So he replied, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, most theologians would agree that this is most likely an angel that the Lord has sent to go and to meet Joshua. Look what Joshua does. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua ran away. So Joshua did his own thing. No, look, look, he does it again. So Joshua did so. So he took off his sandals and then he just begins to worship the Lord as he's on holy ground. That God is doing the thing that he's going to do. Maybe I'll say it like this. God was doing some things in Joshua and in the Israelites that were above their pay grade. Can I remind you today, God is doing some things in your life personally, in this church, that's above our pay grade. And do we have enough eyes to see and ears to hear that God is trying to tell us some things so that we might what? Surrender completely. And that's what Joshua did. Now, I love the angel, by the way. He goes like, say, so are you on our team or their team? You see his answer? He goes, no. He didn't answer. (laughs) Here's what he is saying, though. He's saying, you got the question wrong, Joshua. This is where Joshua got it wrong. You got the question wrong. You got it flipped. You're asking, and before you judge Joshua, you and I do this too. You're asking, hey, God, God, are you on my team or is God on their team? It's flipped. The question that we're to ask is, are we fully on God's team? Are we fully on God's plan? I believe that somebody needs to hear this today. And this rings true with me that before, jot this down if you're a note taker, before we can fully surrender to God's plan, we need to fully surrender to God himself. You see, I love plans. I, I, I love having a plan and executing a plan. I love knowing where we're going and how we're going to get there and what the final destination is. 
But, but before we're going to be able to submit ourselves to God's plan, have you submitted yourself to his character, to his nature, to who he is? Because then that will follow up in being able to follow his plan. And so what the Israelites are experiencing, I think is what Hebrews 11, one says, which it says that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Now they didn't see it yet, but Faith is being sure of what I hope for. Well, God already told them that they were going to inherit the promised land. He already, he already told them that. But they were certain of things that they hadn't seen yet. Hey, we got here and, and, and there's this city and we're going to go to battle here and, and, and there's ways of destruction and there's ways of sin and not following. I mean, come on, what kind of promised land is this? Well, God has a plan. Real quick, before we get to our next marker, maybe jot this down five areas where we need to surrender continually. And I want to challenge you, if you want to grow in the Lord, would you do this? Before you go to bed tonight, write these down, put them in your phone, put them in your Faith Without Borders guide, and just go through and kind of rate yourself. How are you doing in these five areas when it comes to surrender? The first is this, our priorities. I mean, where does God sit in the priority list of my life? And by the way, they might even be really good priorities. Priorities like your family or your kids or your job or the ministry you're serving in, but where is God in your priorities? How about your plans? We already talked about that. What about the purpose for your life? God, what did you put me on this planet to do? How do you want to use me in every context? Are we fully and continually surrendering it to God? This is a hard one, our pride that when we have the pride that sneaks in and, and it says, well, I'm going to kind of do it my way and I got my thing or uh, God, let me just kind of tweak. And I think you got a good plan, God, but let me just kind of make some tweaks to the plan. That's pride versus doing what Joshua did. Or how about our past? To surrender our past up to the Lord. He knows those mistakes that we've made. He knows the sin that we've had. He knows that the conversations we wish we could take back. Have we fully surrendered them over to God. So here's our next mark of sincere faith is that we follow diligently. I hope you see already how Joshua did that. Verses 8 through 11 show it again. So just as God said it, Joshua goes back and says, nope. And remember, this is the exact order God said it. Soldier, followed by the priest, blowing the trumpet, followed by the ark, followed by the people. And so Joshua's being diligent in how he follows after God. We see it again, just if, if you want to see in verse eight, I love it. Just as the Lord had instructed Joshua, just as. How do we follow after Jesus? Is it just as he commanded us? Is it just as we want to do it? Is it just as the world says we should live just as the Lord had commanded. You see, here's the thing. It's easy that what we can do is when it talks about, when we talk about being diligent and following after and having a sincere faith, a faith that can't be microwaved, that takes time, that we can intellectually and we can emotionally surrender ourselves to God. But then do we act? We can say, that's a really, really good idea. And I really feel like that would be the right way to live my life. Would you do it? Let me get back to you on that one. But we all do it. 
and we get in our own way. I remember when Sarah and I, we had just gotten married. We met in college right up the road here at Wheaton College and we got married pretty young, right after school. We were 23. And so we were having those like, what's God gonna do with our life? You know, like, where should we go? And we prayed this, I think good, but also probably naive prayer that maybe you've also prayed that was like, God, we'll go anywhere in the world that you want us to go. Now, here was the subplot of that prayer that we didn't say out loud was like, God, we'll go anywhere in the world that you want us to go. As long as it's exotic, cool, maybe there's mountains and access to a beach, we'll go. (laughs) And then we heard from the Lord and he's like, cool. You said you'd go anywhere. So there's this church like 10 minutes down the road um, called the High Point Church. Why don't you go and serve there? We're like, wait, no, God, can we amend our prayer? Like, I mean, Illinois is fine and all, but I'm just saying. Here's what Joshua knew that we were learning, Sarah and I were learning in that time, is that when we fully surrender our mind, our emotions, our will, that's what makes up our soul. We then need to surrender how we respond in action to God. And that's what Joshua did over and over and over again. He heard from God, he did it. He heard from God, he did it. He heard from God, he did it. And it's interesting because not everybody in the Bible did. Even Moses was like, I don't know, God. I don't know if this rolls for me. Why don't you find somebody else? I don't know. Joshua's like, okay. I love that about Joshua. So it makes me think of my, um, so we have three kids, our six-year-old uh, daughter. She's got this new thing. She's only been doing this for like a little bit. But we, when we ask her to do something, so I ask her, you know, whatever. Hey, can you come downstairs? Can you get, all she, she goes, got it. That's like her response to everything. Hey, can, okay, it's time to come inside. Got it. <laughs> and so the other day, I'm like, I'm like hey, uh, Isley's her name. I'm like, guys, um, why don't you go like, pick up your room? That thing's getting a little messy in there. She's like, got it. She walks down to her room, goes in her room. So I meander down like 15 minutes later. I'm like, how is your room somehow messier than it was 15 minutes ago? As much as I'm joking around, you and I do that with God all the time. I heard what I was supposed to do. I listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I heard what he was calling me to do. Hey, God, got it. Did you do it? And we can get ourselves caught in the same pattern over and over again. And that's what I love about the Israelites collectively as a people group. What did they do? God told Joshua, Joshua told the Israelites, morning one. Here we go, gang. Priests out front, or uh, soldiers out front, priests behind, blow the trumpet, Ark of the Covenant, people of Israel, silence. Good morning, morning two. Soldiers up front, priests behind, trumpets being blown, Ark of the Covenant, people of Israel, silence. Morning three, soldiers out front, priests behind, blow the trumpets, Ark of the Covenant, People of Israel, silence. Morning four, soldiers out front. Hey, God, um, could I just want, could we like expedite this thing? <laughs> like we're getting a little tired, you know, and nope, that's not what they did. Morning four, they went out again. Morning five, they went out again. Morning six, we went out, they went out again. As much as I'm joking around, you know that we do it. 
We might not say it that way, but hey, hey, God, in this, this thing I'm trying to get victory over, could we just expedite that thing a little bit quicker? That would be convenient for me. Hey, God, in this relationship that needs to be reconciled with this person in my life, could you just kind of wave a wand and could you just expedite that? Day one, day two, day three, not saying a word because it's exactly what God asked them to do. They followed with diligence. And this is one thing that I noticed this week, that maybe you're going through a battle. Maybe you're going through a difficulty. Maybe you have some news or you lost your job or there's a health concern or there's a relational rift and you're kind of wondering how to get through this trial in your life. Look at the order because I believe there's nothing in God's word that isn't there for a reason, amen? Look at the order by which God told Joshua for them to walk around the city. The soldiers went first. Remember, this is a battle. And that's what God is reminding them. You're gonna send soldiers out first, the armed men out first into the battle. Hey, you're in a battle, but look who is right behind them, the priests. Hey, um, this is a spiritual battle. Don't get it confused that you think this is just a thing about flesh and territory and land. This is a spiritual battle. What does he have next behind the priests? He has the Ark of the Covenant, the presence and the power of God himself. And then he says, have the people, you and me. If you're going through a difficulty, a trial today, a battle in your own right, can I just encourage you Look what God has placed all in front of you. Look what God says, all of this, including my very presence, will go before you into battle, amen? Amen. It's an amazing thing that God does for us. So we need to follow diligently, not, not perfectly. None of us can do that, but diligently. Here's another mark of sincere faith is that we would live dependently, So verse 12, we see it again. They continue to follow God's instructions. Another lap around the city. Three times in verses 12 and 13, we see again, Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant. God's presence is what? At the center of the whole thing. It's a picture of what? It's a picture of what? It's a picture of dependent living. That they are fully depending, fully relying on God. I mean, think about it with me, the ridicule that maybe they could have gotten over this plan that God put together from a human perspective. Hey, just keep your mouth shut the whole time. Just go and like walk around and do the thing. What do you think the people of Jericho were thinking, by the way? I don't know, it doesn't say, but I mean, it says it was this big fortified city and it says there was men of valor and there was a king and like they were probably ready to go to battle. And then all of a sudden it's, they're like, oh, hide the kids. They're silently walking around the city again. What were they thinking, you know? There wasn't a show of force. There wasn't a faithful to God, faithful to God, diligent in everything, living dependently on what God has for them. And I think this silence, by the way, why did he ask him to be quiet? Jericho would have known they were there. They're walking right outside the walls. Why do you say to be silent? Well, I think it's a picture. It's a picture of God saying, hey, remember, this is my battle to fight. 
I already made my promises. God's gonna fight the battle. This isn't rushed. This isn't chaotic. This isn't foolish. This isn't even emotional. I'm gonna win the battle for you. Hey, I promise you, if we live dependently, God is gonna win the battle for you. And so God is saying and Yeah, the people of Jericho probably thought that they were a little crazy. Guess what? The world thinks you're a little crazy, okay? As you worship Jesus. But look at this. His plan wasn't to move through the wisdom or the strength of his people, the victory that is coming, and it is coming. It wasn't dependent on how wise their battle plan was. The victory wasn't dependent on how strong their soldiers were. The victory was won in full dependence on God. I'm joking around about how people might think we're crazy, but they might. But look at what 1 Corinthians 1.27 says. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see, everything in God's economy gets flipped upside down. In my weakness, I have power because he is God and all-powerful. In the foolishness of the world, I am able to exchange my own wisdom for the wisdom of God. It's a pretty good deal, this whole gospel thing we got going on. So, are you stepping into the right places of living a life fully dependent on God? And if you are, Are you helping other people do the same? Because at some point, somebody shared the gospel with you. At some point, somebody came alongside you and helped you through a difficult time. As Easter is coming up in a few weeks, it just gets me thinking, who who are the people? I'll say it like this. What if we had an attitude like Joshua? Okay, I want to hear from the Lord. God, who are the names of people, specific names of people in my life? My neighbors, my coworkers, my friends, my family the need to hear the gospel on Easter. God, would you give me the names and what if you and I did what Joshua did? And so Joshua did it. And so Yanka did it. And so Shana did it. And so, and one by one by one. Recent Barna study showed that of regularly attending church goers, followers of Jesus that don't just check a box to say I'm a Christian, regular attenders who go to church on a regular basis and following after Jesus, only 30% said that they would invite a person to an Easter service. One in three, followers of Jesus. Where's our heart for reaching our neighbors and, and this whole thing, right? This whole thing is about, God, would you expand our territory? Uh, God, would you expand our influence so we can reach more people with the gospel here and around the world? Um, You gonna like share that with any of those people? What if, High Point Church, because I know we're not the 30%, but what if High Point Church 100%? We said as Easter comes up, man, I'm gonna invite that neighbor. I'm gonna, there is, other than maybe Christmas, I mean, there's no other time in the year. Do you know that majority of people want to be asked? to come to church and you feel nervous and you feel uncomfortable and what are they going to say? Well, the good news is the result and the outcome is not up to you. That's up to God to convict people's hearts. But your job, my job 
is that we'd hear from the Lord and then we would put into action going to actually share the gospel and invite other people. Two more, two more marks of this sincere faith. I love where it goes here, is that we're gonna respond mercifully. We see this with Rahab. So in verses 15 through 19, this is what happened with, with Rahab. If you remember the story, and if you missed the message from Joshua 2 a couple weeks ago, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message from Pastor Ron. And so we talked about this a few weeks ago, that there was this scarlet cord that she tied onto a window, and that was to be a sign. There were these spies, these, these messengers, and she was faithful in that. And here, we get to see it all come to fruition. This is the culmination of all that God is instructing the people to do. Verse 15, so they woke up early. It's about to get good. They marched seven times. And this was the only time that they marched around seven times in a row. So on day seven, instead of one lap around the track, we got seven laps around the track. Then in verse 16, finally, at the end of all of it, Joshua commands his people to shout. It's time. Remember, they've been silent this whole time. What do you think in like their not so spiritually mature moments they were saying about Joshua, like day six? Like, do we think he really heard from the Lord? Like, think anything's gonna happen here? Like, I don't know if they're anything like you and me. I know I'm this way as, as much as I'm trying to be obedient. It's like, man, I, I have a little doubt on that lap around the track and then I get a little frustration and, God, are you, are you really in this? And is this really, was that really your voice? And, and we can begin to spin these things. But guess what? The people of Israel, they didn't do it. They stayed faithful. And so verse 17 is where we see this mercy. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are in her house shall live. So when they shouted, the walls, two 15-foot huge parallel walls all around the city collapse. It's pretty cool. And then God does something interesting. He goes, the one person I'm going to save is Rahab, the prostitute. He gave her mercy. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. And I love that God uses Rahab here. Here's the reason why. I think what scripture is teaching and telling you and me today is regardless of what's in your past, regardless of the decisions you've made, regardless of the things that you wish you could take back in your life, if you're willing to fully surrender yourself to God, you're going to experience his mercy. And we see perfectly on the crosses, we're just a couple weeks away from Good Friday and Easter, we, we see grace and mercy perfectly combined. By the way, grace is getting something you don't deserve, i.e. your salvation. But mercy is not getting what you do deserve, which is to be separated from God. And on the cross, he brings it all together. He takes our sin. He gives us his grace and he gives us salvation and the process to begin sanctifying our lives. It's an amazing thing of mercy. And then verse 18, 19, quickly he gives them this kind of caveat, this, this 
hey, danger here, be careful here, kind of alarm bells. He goes, okay, now we're all going into the city. Be really careful. Remember, this is a destructive place. And so be careful that you don't get some of the things. Maybe I'll just contextualize it for us. Hey, be really, really careful that those people you're hanging around and the things that you're doing don't begin to influence you in a destructive way. And then it even says in verse 19 that you might bring it back to the camp and so much so be in trouble. Hey, be real careful when you go in there because there's some things that could wear off on you. And so, yes, as much as we receive that mercy and we want to live in a place of grace, we also want to live in a place that says, hey, let's be real careful. Why? Because I want a sincere faith. Because I want an obedient faith like Joshua had. So we'll end with this. Magnify God courageously. We see this in verses 20 and 27. I'm not going to read them all, but verse 20 recounts the trumpets sounding and the people shouting and the walls fall. And it goes on to say, every man straight before him and they captured the city. You see, they're courageously magnifying God. To magnify, by the way, it just means to exalt, to praise, to lift up. And so they're praising God as he finally gives them this territory, this land. Stick with me as the worship team comes. Here's the amazing thing about this story. The story is not about Joshua. And the story is really not about the priests. The story is about the collective faith of the people of God. Did you catch that? You see that every day they got up together. Did anybody dissent? Hey, I'm not going today, guys. I'm out. I don't know. I don't see it in the Bible. Every day that they got go, and the collective faith of the people of God goes together into battle. This is why we gather together as a church. This is why we are the church so that we can have this collective faith. In verse 27, last verse, look what happens. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. You see the collective faith of the people of God spurred on a movement for the fame of God to go forth all throughout the land. I believe that if we as a church collectively and courageously were to magnify the Lord and allow his fame to go forth and kind of link arms, so to speak, with one another that God can not only transform this city, but he can transform cities all around and Chicago and our country and our world that God wants to use us. Why? For his fame to be all around the world. It's a bold claim, I know. But it's one, it's one that comes with a high calling from God. And in many ways, that's what this limitless thing is all about. You can read more about it in the front of your guide, but we've been on this two-year journey of generosity together. And we began on it saying that before God is going to do a work through us, he's going to do a work in us. Think God did some work in those Israelites as they kept their mouth quiet and walked and walked and walked and walked. And then look what God did through them promised land 
his promises in them. So really the heart of Limitless is about our collective faith and our collective generosity. That we believe that God will and can do more through us collectively than he's gonna do through any one of us individually. And it's an incredible thing. I kind of have this vision of us marching around our cities where all of our locations are and in God's timing saying, God will do this. God will break through. Remember the verse, Mark 10, 27, that with man it's impossible, but not with God for all things are possible with God, including tearing down the walls. I think God wants to tear down some walls in our hearts. I think God wants to tear down some walls in our church. I think God wants to tear down some walls, so what? So that he can expand the territory of the people of God. Amen? And so on April 2nd, in just a few weeks, we're gonna have, that'll be our one year mark, halfway through this Limitless Generosity Initiative, where we've already seen God do some incredible things, and I don't have time to get into it now, and we're believing God for some incredible things in the future. And we're gonna ask that all of us collectively respond in one of three ways. I don't know how you need to respond. But the first way is that you're going to make a new commitment. Maybe you're new here in the last year and you're like, I never made a financial commitment. And I never, if I can be like real frank, there might be some people in this room that are like, no, I've been here a long time. And I heard about this thing last year and I didn't make a commitment for whatever reason, but now's my time to say, man, man I want to see the territory of God unleashed. And so you're going to make a commitment. Other people made a commitment last year and they're like, I'm just going to finish strong, man. That's my prayer. I made a commitment. I heard from God and just like Joshua and the Israelites did. And so they did it. And we're just going to make good on the commitment that we made to God. And we're going to finish strong and other people. And we've already heard some stories incredible on this that are going to increase their commitment because they've seen God do some incredible things in their life. And so you can look at it and page nine and read on that. And page 11 of your guide, there's a commitment card. We'll hand these out, but all we're asking you to do today is just begin to pray about how God might want you to respond. Hey, why is this so important? Why do we want to see some walls fall for the gospel? Why do we want to see some new territory for the kingdom? Well, listen, so that just like Joshua and the Israelites experience, we can hear this from God. So the Lord was with High Point Church and his fame was in all the land. That's the whole point. Let's stand together. We're gonna respond in song. My prayer for all of us is that we would surrender continually and follow diligently. We'd live dependently and respond mercifully so that together we would magnify God Courageously. Now they shouted, church. Remember the shout part? This is your shout part. Let's sing together.